Welcome to Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears, and I'm joined, as always, by Federico Vitici. Hello, Fraser. Happy iOS 10 week. Happy iOS 10. Have you <laughs> have you recovered from the review? Uh, yes. Good. Uh, I was uh, I was afraid I would need like a couple of days in complete mm-hmm. isolation, just like sitting down, not talking to anyone. <laughs> but actually, I was pretty refreshed uh, just a couple of hours later. Uh, I think it, it's because I had a better um, preparation this mm-hmm. time than last year. So yeah, I'm uh, fully recovered. Good, good. And I saw you tweeted some stats about the amount of traffic that the review had produced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going well. It's going well. Well. You know, we're seeing a lot of traffic, a lot of interest from people, and uh, the the new design uh, certainly helped. You know, mm-hmm. uh, with a better navigation. Um, yeah. So I, I think it was, you know, it was really worth it. We're approaching half a million views on the on the wow. story. So you know, it's not. I mean, it's not typically the kind of volume that we have at Mac no. Stories for a single article. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, so to have that on a, on a single story, it certainly makes it all more worth the effort, you know, for the past three months. That's awesome. I, I will tell you honestly and truthfully that I have, in fact, read it all. Uh, I, I got through it last night and, and I was really impressed with it. I, th- I thought it was great. Um, no, thank you. And uh, very, it's very interesting. Like, I, I kind of feel with mobile devices and with iOS in particular, they're, they're so kind of personal that the kind of things that one person would emphasize another person might not even care about or might be very interested in in particular. But I thought you did a really good job of kind of hitting what would be most people's high points and then digging into some really low level details. But how do you how do you look at it? I mean, what are how do you feel is your kind of major themes for the review? Did you feel there was a, a unifying mm. message with iOS then? Yeah, I, I feel like um, very early on, uh, back in June at WWDC, I was talking with you know with Mike, with Marco, with other mm-hmm. uh, with people there, developers and you know and whatnot. And my immediate reaction was, I iMessage and you know messages apps are going to be a blockbuster, you know, with sticker packs and with applications that developers can make. So I feel like, and all the changes, of course, to the messages app itself like the new conversation view the effects you no know, uh, mm-hmm. links and i felt like messages needed to be the focus of the review and I, in fact uh, the entire review is about 50,000 uh, words and i would say that the messages chapter alone is about 12,000 of them for it's like a single feature so there's definitely a huge uh, focus on iMessage and the messages app and i would also say uh, the, there's a, an underlying idea that I introduce in the in the very first uh, in the in you know the very first few paragraphs in the introduction, and then I try to develop t- throughout the entire review, and then I touch upon again in the in the ending is the idea of change, and the idea of different ways to approach change, and just the kind of change that is seems uh, reactionary. It seems uh, unexpected, and we see this in in you know major redesigns such as Apple Music, for example, which is a reaction to last year's criticism on Apple Music and all the many things that you know people were confused about. And you can see also the reaction to Google Photos, for instance, in in, in the new Photos app. But there are also in iOS 10, I feel, other changes that are more evolutionary and they kind of show the idea of Apple introduces new technologies new technologies in small ways every year and 
annually they refine those, you know, whether they're APIs or new designs, until they become bigger features. So you can see, for example, when Apple introduced the idea of size classes for uh, the the iPhone 6 and the iPhone 6 Plus in 2014, a year later, those size classes were used to bring multitasking to the iPad. And there's... For example, in iOS 10, uh, the the new proactive features that were introduced last year in very small and specific ways, uh, starting you know with an S user activity back in iOS 8, and then last year with iOS 9. This time in iOS 10, there's plenty of usage of uh, the, the the idea of a user activity. So how you can get recommendations from iOS, such as in the Quick Type keyboard, you can get you know suggestions for contacts or locations, or when you switch between apps, you can see a shortcut at the bottom. So there's the idea of change and the, the different ways that, that Apple uh, deals with change on iOS. Yeah, I think that there's definitely a couple of areas there where you're looking at, like you said, there's kind of hygiene features, like the you know automatic generation of memories and photos and things yeah. like that. And there's bits where they're kind of catching up. And, and that's been true. I don't think that's new in iOS 10. I mean, and that's been true with things like Notification Center in the past and other things. Apple's Original solutions have been criticized for, and Google had been further ahead or whatever. But then the way I feel about it is that you're starting to see there are some, you can see there are Apple thinking tracks and there's sort of hygiene tracks as well. And the way Apple's thinking about it is much more to do with subtle, not really in your face, not kind of like Google inbox in your face, you know, where it's like, hey, here's an artificial intelligence suggestion. It's more, um, I've just happened to have added something to your calendar that, you know, you, I know you want it, you know. I've started to notice more and more of that happening as I've used iOS 10. Yeah, and I feel like the other big theme um, would be the idea of apps becoming system features uh, throughout even more extensions. So the idea of splitting apps into, I, I call them in the review, atomic units, which mm-hmm. is the idea of having this, the, the idea of an app on the home screen, you know, the traditional concept of an app, but also to have those those apps have ramifications in other parts of iOS. So even more focus on extensions, whether it's iMessage or notifications or Siri or even call blocking for uh, the, you know, the, the system voice calls. Um, and all of these uh, sort of trust uh, that Apple has in regard to developers now uh, I feel like it's a major change from, you know, from maybe the idea that we have of Apple as a kind of closed company that doesn't really let developers uh, customize certain certain aspects of iOS. But as we saw two years ago with iOS 8, uh, Apple is open to the idea. And now this time, two years later, Apple is kind of uh, resuming that discussion and saying, hey, we want you guys to, uh, you know, customize, personalize iOS. And so you can have extension points in notifications, in widgets. Uh, custom keyboards are better. You can do Siri. You can do, you know, there's all, all iMessage, of course. So the idea of there's the app on the, home, on the home screen, but there's also some app features where they make sense, they can come to you, even if you don't go to the app itself. So I feel like that's, a, that's another major uh, theme in the review that I hopefully uh, explored well. I guess. No, I, I, I totally get that point. And, and I think it it reminds me of something that Benedict Evans said a couple of years ago, where he said, you know, in five years time, the idea of installing an app on your smartphone, I don't know what any of those parts mean. And what he was kind of getting at there was, you know, the, the fact that the idea of what is an app 
is not as fixed as we maybe think it is. And I think what you're starting to see in iOS 10 is is really starting to break apart. And what will be very interesting, I'm thinking from a sort of teaching point of view, and not so much teaching kids because we have a much more, we have quite a controlled iOS environment in school, but just helping friends use iOS or when you show people a feature, trying to explain to them how that feature gets there uh-huh. might start to become quite a complicated explanation. You know, it's like, well, you have to be subscribed, logged into OpenTable, and then you install their app, and then you enable this thing in, in iMessage, and then you get this great feature. And it'll be quite interesting to see whether those discoverability parts inside, for example, iMessage, help your social network, your, your physical social network, your friends, uh, get up to speed with some kind of new technology. Because I've seen some cool things already in iMessage, for example, um, being able to like do group scheduling and things like that right inside a message thread, which seems really cool. But it'd be interesting to see, can we get everybody up to speed on some of those little apps? So speaking of iMessage, uh, I mean, it's the big news of you know iOS 10, the fact that developers can make apps for iMessage and can make sticker packs. So, uh, I mean, just to quickly touch upon stickers, uh, it's a fun way to personalize conversations. Uh, other messaging services have had uh, stickers for a while, uh, Messenger, uh, Telegram, uh, Line, very popular in Japan and China, WeChat also. Uh, and it, it feels like Apple is catching up uh, with those services to kind of realize the potential of stickers um, to, you know, to let users have fun ways to express themselves. And it's also an avenue for, you know, artists and developers to make money in a different way on the App Store. Uh, and, and I feel like it's a great idea to, you know, I mean, a lot of people won't like it, but I know that just by sharing stickers with my mom, she's obsessed with them and she's upgrading to iOS 10 just to be able to have stickers. Yeah, I mean, this is going to drive adoption through yeah. the roof. You know, and there's no question about it that messaging features plus emojis plus any kind of animated image uh, yes. just gets people uh, hitting that button exactly. as soon as possible. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about iMessage apps, which are mm-hmm. uh, the, the more advanced kind. Um, so iMessage apps are real apps. So they're, they, they, they're made of code, unlike basic sticker packs where are just a bunch of image files. iMessage apps are real extensions. Uh, they can access uh, all kinds of iOS frameworks, uh, so they can integrate with the camera, with the calendar. Uh, they can access, you know, uh, they can receive keyboard input uh, when displayed in full screen. Uh, and developers can make any kind of iMessage app. So we're, we've already seen just by browsing the new iMessage app store, there's calendar apps on iMessage, uh, task managers on iMessage, there's uh, games. I mean, I was playing mm-hmm. last night with John Voorhees, uh, a game of, um, um, what's it called, the pool, uh, you know, with the, with, the, with the eight ball, I think. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. yeah, inside iMessage. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about mm-hmm. it. It was all like 3D graphics and sounds. It was a real game. Uh, and it was a multiplayer game. So it's a, it's a real way for developers to, uh, to create uh, full apps for inside iMessage. And from a productivity perspective, uh, I think it's interesting, uh, during the beta stage of iOS 10, I was sent a few betas from developers. And I've seen a few developers make iMessage apps with shared to-do lists so that you can create uh, a list of things to do, for example, or like shopping lists, and you can share that on iMessage. And one of the features of iMessage apps is that they can be collaborative. So you can share this special type of message. It's called an interactive message. And it's interactive because users in a conversation can tap on a, on the message and it opens uh, the app's interface 
And inside the app, multiple people can make changes and iMessage will keep track of those changes. At WWDC, for example, uh, Apple had a, a demo of OpenTable and multiple participants in a conversation, they could vote on things to eat and kind of the dishes that they wanted to order. And I was able to try a few betas of this similar concept, but only with to-do lists. So Mm -hmm. for example, I could create a shopping list, send it to another person. The other person could update the shopping list with new items, send it back to me, and we would both be looking at the final shopping list with changes made by multiple people inside iMessage. And And that that list just lives inside iMessage. Is that where where the data is, or is that associated with another app that you could then look at that? Yeah. Yeah, it's an extension from, it depends if you want to have like a separate app, it can be an extension to that app, or it can be an iMessage app, so the data only lives inside iMessage, which I feel like it's a little problematic for task managers, uh, because of course you want to have the full task manager app. So I think it's interesting to think about, you know, maybe down the road to have I don't know. I'm just imagining now. I have no no knowledge of this, but just imagine like an OmniFocus app or a Todoist app, which probably makes more sense because there's already collaboration. But a Todoist app that lets you collaborate on a on a shared list with someone on iMessage instead of sending links back and forth and to you know to be forced to. Uh, to have a conversation on the Todoist website, you could have a conversation on iMessage because you already do have conversation there uh, and you can also collaborate on a, on a shared list. I think there's a great potential. Maybe not right now because the, the framework is a little limited. But I mean, a couple of iterations, you know, as Apple brings more fixes and additions to the API, I think the idea of a task manager with an iMessage extension is not too crazy. Yeah, and I think that the potentially next interesting step is if there was like an iMessage server-side API, where, for example, I'm thinking like, you know, a British Airways, you could message British Airways and you could ask them for the flights that are available, you know, to London whenever, you know, uh, and then they could send you back rich messages and you could book inside a rich message, that kind of thing. But the fact that iMessage doesn't have a server-side API for companies to listen to at the moment is probably a bit of a limiting factor in some of that stuff. But you can see the groundwork getting laid for that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tricky for Apple, you know, with their uh, stance on encryption and, you know, user privacy. All of the, it's going to be tricky to pull that off, uh, especially when you consider how all iMessage apps, um, all the processing is done locally on device. Uh, and I mean, they don't, um, and I'm talking about the, the messages framework, they don't access uh, They don't access the details of participants in a conversation. They don't even see the names. Uh, so if I install an app and that app is not going to be able to see that I talk to someone named Fraser on iMessage, it only sees uh, an alphanumeric string, which is an identifier. So Apple is very concerned about privacy. And I think it's going to be tricky for them to have a web API for things like we see on Messenger, for example, you have chatbots. We don't have that kind of functionalities on iMessage yet. Or maybe it's possible. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe at the end of the day, you sign into British Airways with your iCloud account. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's <laughs> something that could happen. Imagine a conversation on iMessage with your, with your favorite <laughs> supermarket. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of iMessage, there's also uh, effects. 
You know, you can send mm-hmm. uh, super annoying screen effects. Like Daft right. Punk effect. Like a Daft Punk effect. There's a shooting star effect when you want to be romantic. Uh, and there's also, I feel like, the most important feature, uh, 3X emoji. So jumbo emoji, yes. supersized. Uh, and a little detail, it only works if you send, I think, three emoji at a time. Uh, they're going to be supersized in the conversation. If you send four emoji together in the same message, they're going to go back to normal size. And of course... If you send a message that is both text and an emoji, like, okay, thumbs up, it's mm-hmm. not going to be uh, a big emoji. It's going to be a regular emoji. Yeah, it's just basically when you're using an emoji as a sticker, almost. Yeah. 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 I kind of wanted to cool. see an, an, an emoji sticker pack from Apple, but it's still... No, I mean, there's... That can be there's very my, confusing, yeah. That can be very confusing, yeah. Uh, moving, on to, moving on to Maps, which is another... I got a redesign in iOS 10. Now, I don't use Maps much in Rome. So maybe, mm-hmm. Fraser, you, you use it more than me? Yeah, I, I do. I, I use Apple Maps as my as my main application. And I found it to be very good. Uh, particularly, uh, there was a point where they integrated more data, I think, from Yelp and some from, from somewhere else as well. I can't remember. TripAdvisor, maybe. I'm not sure. But so they integrated a number of additional services, and that really bumped up. Uh, the number and quality and accuracy of the POI information in the UK. So to the point now where I can more or less search for uh, whatever kind of place I'm looking for and get a Google, Google-style result, if you like, you know, an, an accurate name of a place that I'm looking for. Yeah. I'm really but, jealous of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad, except that I, I did it. To, we were going to a shopping mall that I don't normally go to, and it navigated us right to the place, but it took us in the service entrance instead of into the main <laughs> car park. So like, okay. Uh, so imagine your autonomous Apple car taking you up the service entrance. Oh, God. It's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> yeah, you're in a loading dock. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the thing with Maps is it's become, to my mind, it's become a much better uh, GPS uh, for turn-by-turn directions than it was in previous versions. And partly it's just because of uh, like you mentioned with some of the other apps like music and news, it's got a kind of bolder redesign with larger fonts and so on. And previously when you used to use turn-by-turn directions on maps, it was very much uh, like a tiny little text that said, you know, you're going to arrive at this time and now it's in, you know, like 25-point text and it's bold and black and you can see it. So um, I I like it. I think it's... And this is one of these examples of things that... Um, I don't know if it's artificial intelligence or not. I guess it's probably not because you, know, you could procedurally describe it. But the idea of uh, when you disconnect your Bluetooth, your car Bluetooth, it puts a marker on the map for where you parked your car. I mean, stuff like that. Those little touches are kind of, for me, that's the hallmark of iOS 10 is little touches that just ease your day, you know. And that's uh, that's a nice example. So what do you think of uh, the new design in, in iOS 10? For the, for the Maps app in particular? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I, I like it. I, I think there's, in some cases in iOS 10, though, I'm noticing I'm slightly confused about what I'm supposed to do in terms of the direction in which I'm navigating through the app. And particularly on the iPhone, Maps is one of them because you have this kind of half-height card that sort of slides over when you want to look for things. And then you've got to dismiss that by swiping down instead of back. You know, it's not a left-to-right navigation. It's a sort of overlay coming up from the bottom, but it's kind of sort of always there as well. Um, I mean, you can get used to it. It's not, it's not that hard to understand, but it's just it's another kind of interface element. And I think the same is true with the now playing screen and music as well. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like is the ability for developers to also create Maps extensions. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, one example that, launched yesterday. I, I, I wish I could uh, include this example in my review. Um, so there's a 
this restaurant reservation service called The Fork, which is, uh, I, I think it's actually, in developer terms, it's a fork, literally, of TripAdvisor, uh, which is the popular uh, restaurant and hotel booking uh, service and website. Uh, so The Fork is... Um, it's kind of like open table for Italy, basically. Uh, not a lot of restaurants are on it, uh, but I feel like it's growing. And uh, in Rome, there's quite a few locations that support uh, booking a table with the fork. So yesterday, the fork uh, updated the the iOS the iPhone app with the Maps extension. So now you can view the location in Maps. So you open the restaurant page, as usual. You get the photos, you get the details. And there's going to be uh, an... an a, an extension button, like uh, the fork uh, reservation next to the directions uh, button in Maps. And you can tap that and it opens uh, a, a table booking interface inside Maps. So you can check availability for times and table size. Uh, and then you can you can see without leaving Maps if, it, if there's going to be a table for you. And if the answer is yes, you can tap on the, on the, on a, on a, icon at the bottom and you can finalize the reservation in the in the main app so it's a way to save time instead of looking up a restaurant in maps switching back to the booking application then moving back to maps and moving back again it's a way to to perform an initial step inside maps so you can check with an extension if there's going to be a table for you and then you can continue the operation in the in the main app and i think this is a great addition to the to this kind of you know maps kind of workflow if you will uh, just to save time and to be able to do more and there's going to be even a way to have a uber extension or ride sharing extensions in maps and i was hoping that my taxi which is a kind of Uber-like service that it that is more popular in Rome uh, would support um, Maps extensions at launch, uh, but they still don't have an extension. So maybe keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah, I think that that potentially is quite an interesting thing. And the one thing I was hoping for, but I don't think this is possible, is that apps would be able to add additional points of interest onto the map. I'm pretty sure that's not yeah, possible for an extension. but Because no. one of the reasons I was quite interested in that was because there's an app that I use for my electric car called PlugShare, and they know about thousands of charging points all over the place that are not, you know, they're, they're not like places that would have a point of interest anyway. Um, but if they were able to add things to the map, that would be super cool. You could just search for charging stations uh, or different kinds of things, different kinds of points of interest. But that's not possible yet, but I can see that coming in a day to come. Yeah, uh, especially when you consider how <laughs> Apple's... Uh points of interest are not super accurate in Rome and they're still kind of lacking uh, behind Google Maps. Uh, but but I can understand why Apple doesn't want, you know, uh, developers to plug into the, the essentials, if you will, of Maps, yeah, which is the, the data. data. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that could be a kind of trust issue as yeah. well, couldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I mm -hmm. mentioned uh, ride booking and restaurant reservations. Uh, and ride booking is also part of one of the... Um, SiriKit features. So SiriKit is the new framework that lets developers uh, create extensions for Siri. So you can ask Siri questions and to perform actions for third-party apps, which wasn't possible before iOS 10. So the SiriKit system is based on domains, and there's only seven ready for iOS 10, which is write booking, messaging, photo search, payments, VoIP calling, workouts, and CarPlay. Uh, and let aside CarPlay, which I couldn't test uh, because I don't have a car with CarPlay. Um, the other, the other domains uh, 
are based on this system called intents. And intents are kind of like tasks that you ask Siri to perform. And there's a couple of intents usually for each domain. So for example, in the messaging domain, you can ask Siri to send a message with another app instead of iMessage, but you can also say, hey, read my message history. So you can perform multiple types of tasks. Now we've seen since yesterday, quite a bit of adoption from third-party developers on the App Store. I mean, there's a Square Cash to send payments uh, using Siri. There's Venmo to do the same. Um, there's, there's WhatsApp as an update to send a message using Siri. And we're seeing a lot of interest from these big companies, you know, big big name developers and, you know, big time uh, companies doing this kind of integration. But um, from a productivity perspective, it seems like Siri uh, still isn't open to the kinds of apps that people used to get work done. So there's no yeah. task management, there's no uh, email, there's no you know uh, saving notes in a different app instead of Apple Notes. Uh, so you know there's still a lot of work to be done uh, in terms of SiriKit. Yeah, I, I feel in some ways this is perhaps my criticism of iOS 10 is that it's a bit too focused on consumer features mm-hmm. and not quite enough on productivity. Yeah. And because a lot of the things that we're talking about, like sticker packs, you know, access to services, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I use all these services as well, but like Uber and OpenTable and things like that, they're very much kind of lifestyle features rather yeah. than yes. productivity features. And for me, if I have any disappointment with iOS 10, it's probably that, that there's not great new powerful power user features. But then iOS 9... We kind of got our shot with iOS 9, I suppose, <laughs> and, now, and now Apple does have a bit of catching up to do, I think, in the kind of lifestyle arena yeah. in that sense. But one, one I'm surprised is not in Siri even now is like um, finding TV shows. So that, that kind of Siri domain already exists on the Apple TV. Oh, right. yeah. But, you know, why can I not say to Siri on, on my phone, like, you know, pl- play the next episode of Community on Netflix and it'll, it'll play it, for example. Uh, that would be that would be a cool feature. You know, search yes. BBC for rugby or yeah. whatever. You know. Yeah, I mean the whole idea of the Apple TV, uh, like the universal search across multiple apps and services. I feel like it would make total sense on the iPad. Uh, also, because people, you know, you keep Netflix and Plex and you know the BBC app or other video apps. It would make total sense to have that kind of Siri feature on the iPad as well. Uh, especially when you're, you know, in bed at night, for example, you don't want to tap a bunch of, you know, icons and navigate. You just wanna, you just wanna talk to Siri, uh, like you do on the TV. But if you don't use the TV, it will be great on the iPad too. Uh, but it's not possible yet. So maybe, you know, maybe next year, Fraser, we'll get our productivity update with ten point three, whatever. iOS eleven is going to be just called Pillow Talk with Siri. <laughs> <laughs> the problem, our problem, is that we got a taste of Apple doing productivity stuff last year, yeah. and now we want it all the time. Oh yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're. I mean, it's iOS ten is definitely a lifestyle update. Yeah. So for, uh, I think it's one of the sentences that I have in, in the review introduction. It's a lifestyle update, and you can see it everywhere in iOS 10. And, you know, for example, things like HomeKit as well. Yep. You know, that's it's unlikely that your business environment is going to have that. <laughs> but, you know, it's unlikely my home's going to have it as well, for that matter. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, you've got some whole motivation stuff here. Uh, I have a, a few uh, Philips U-lights, and um, I have uh, some Elgato sensors. So I got the the indoor 
air quality one for humidity and air quality and stuff. I got a door sensor to just to collect stats on how many times I open my main door every day. I don't know why. I just find it fascinating over a long period of time for some reason. And I got an, an external um, temperature one to, to see how hot it is in Rome. Um, I can do a few things with uh, HomeKit. I, it's nice that I, with the Home app in iOS 10, it's nice that I can have a summary of like, you, your door is closed, you have three lights are turned on and the weather outside is 20 degrees. So that's nice. And But I would say that my favorite aspect is that I can, I can stop using third-party HomeKit widgets to turn off my lights quickly because I can just wipe up and do it from Control Center. Yeah, I think the addition of HomeKit to the Control Center really puts it sort of front and center on the on the whole iOS, and, and mm. I think that uh, although it doesn't appear unless you have something already in your in your house, yeah. is that right? So yeah, you, I guess you're gonna have to get something first, but it'll be interesting to see how that develops. There's uh, two things that I feel are quite polarizing this week. Uh, one is Apple Music and the mm-hmm. new design, which a lot of people don't like, and I get it because it's very <laughs> different from the you know the old music app. It's yeah. not information dense at all. It's got these big uh, titles, like almost newspaper like. It's got these big buttons that you can tap, or almost the size of like super sized, like emoji sized. <laughs> uh, and Flex it, user interface. Yeah. Yeah, it's all very white and black and white, you know, and there's very sparse use of color. Uh, it's very different and it's kind of striking uh, when you compare that to last year. But I would say that the most um, difficult aspect uh, to accept for a lot of people is the new race to wake slash unlocking behavior. Uh, we talked about this on Connected this week because Mike couldn't figure out how the new unlocking works. So make sure to, I have a lengthy explanation there I, and I feel like I don't want to repeat it again. No, uh, but the, the basic is uh, unlocking is now a two-step process. Apple tells you with a message, press home to unlock, but actually that message hides two steps. One is, place your finger on Touch ID to authenticate yourself. And the second is physically press the home button to move from lock screen to home screen. Apple tells you this with a single message, um, but it's actually two separate steps. And it's driving a lot of people crazy. And thankfully, Apple included this option in accessibility where you can revert to the old behavior and you can say rest finger to unlock. So instead of having to, you know, click, you can just rest your finger on Touch ID and you yeah. leave the lock screen as in iOS 9. And this all kind of fits into the idea that the lock screen is a much more powerful environment than it has been before because you can swipe uh, to the right to get the widgets yeah. and swipe fully to the left to get the camera. I'm I'm personally really interested in this because I think that the widgets seem more powerful in iOS 10, even if I don't know that they actually are. They, it seems like the, the way they designed it or the kind of things that developers are doing with those widgets now, they're they're so much more prominent that they're being encouraged to do more with their widgets. Um, and I think that the idea of being able to authenticate to the phone without unlocking the phone, again, to me, that feels like something that is ready for another step, which is that, let's say, when your Apple Watch is paired and close by, your iPhone is just unlocked all the time. Uh, and I, I feel like the new behavior also makes more sense if you have an iPhone success where raised to wake actually works. I don't. I've got an iPhone 6. Uh, plus which doesn't do that 
And I think the unlocked behavior there is kind of suboptimal, but they're clearly designing for devices that have the motion coprocessor in it and can detect that kind of thing. And you raise it to wake and then it sort of makes sense to authenticate and do stuff or open the phone. Whereas in the old behavior, you would sort of click, I would always click the home button to wake the phone and then just hold my finger there to unlock it. Uh, and I think in the future, that behavior will make a lot more sense than it does right now. Yeah, I mean, especially when you when you see how, uh, you know, the same functionality is coming to Sierra and with the Apple Watch, yes. I think I, w- I would also like to see the same on iOS. You're right, yeah. Yeah, because it's clear to me that the the interaction with the lock screen, authentication is getting in the way all the time. Because what you want is you want your personalized data on those widgets without having to do anything else. And at the moment, you can see some things on widgets, but then anything that's got private data, you've got to do a touch ID move in order to see that data. And I think if there was some way in which that could just not be a problem, uh, I think that would be quite an interesting future to have. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't like the new unlocking behavior, uh, make sure to check out the uh, the option. in It's in settings, general accessibility, home button, and you can go back to rest finger to unlock. So if you really hate the new system, I, I would say give it a try for at least a week, see if you can stick with it, because I think it has benefits. But if you really don't like it, go back to the old one. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with it now. Yeah, I mean, I've been using, I think I had Beta 3 was the first one I put on my phone, so I've been using it for quite a while now, but uh, it seems second nature to me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I kind of feel like we're supposed to be talking about iOS 10 here, but all we're doing is speculating about iOS 11 at the moment. <laughs> you know, this is good, but if it did this and this and this, it would, you know. I got to start my iOS 10 wish list already. Yeah, get in there. Uh, Federico, let me take a minute and uh, just tell folks about some friends of ours that are sponsoring the show tonight. Oh, yeah. Those are the folks at MartianCraft. And MartianCraft is a company that is behind some of the most prominent software on the App Store. But what you might not know is that they also offer a kind of wide variety of training They have complete classes to accommodate everyone from entry level to senior iOS developers, people that are seeking to amplify their skills or improve things like collaborative problem solving. Fortune 500 companies rely on MartianCraft to make their teams and software better. So you can find out for yourself why they're the right choice for your company. Go to martiancraft.com slash training to learn more. And thank you to MartianCraft for their support of Canvas and FM. So, speaking of devices that uh, make more sense with iOS 10, uh, 3D Touch versus not having a 3D Touch phone. Uh, and I'm no, not at all bitter that I don't have one, because I will eventually get one. But uh, it seems to me that the new notification stuff mm-hmm. is way nicer if you mm-hmm. have a 3D Touch phone. Yeah, there's a, if you have a, an iPhone 6S, you can um, press on, or an iPhone 7, of course, you can press on a notification to expand it. Uh, and that... That's part of um, the new notification system in iOS 10, which lets developers um, create custom interfaces to put inside a notification. So, for example, uh, Apple itself is taking advantage of this to show you the full conversation transcript of iMessage when you press on an iMessage notification. So you can not only reply to the latest message, but you can see all previous messages. Super convenient. And other developers can do the same. They can create custom UIs. So for instance, I use uh, Carrot Weather. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a weather app, and I, every day it sends me this daily report uh, every morning and every evening. And uh, when I press on the notification, I get this nice graphics uh, with the 
with a temperature graph and with icons to tell me visually here's what it's going to be like. So instead of glancing at the notification text and then having to open the app, you can get more things done from notifications uh, and you know so you can stay on the lock screen or you can stay on the home screen and you don't have to care about you know uh, jumping from notification to app. Yeah, I think that's an interesting trend in iOS design and I think it's a good one is sort of staying where you are and not having to do a context switch into another app. And that's another example of somewhere that uh, parts of the app come to you in the notification as well. Uh, I've seen that used, I think it was probably in your review that I saw it, but um, like if you post a notification from Workflow, for example, you can attach stuff to it and see that in the notification as well. Is that right? Yeah, you can uh, you can create the, with the latest Workflow update. You can create these custom notifications so you can just pass uh, data to a notification you can pass a video for example or mm. an image or even an address and when you expand the notification workflow will show you a rich preview in the in the notification card so you can view for example a map or you can watch a video inside a notification and when you tie it, tie it all together videos in notifications for example are uh, especially convenient when you uh, do things like HomeKit cameras, so you okay. can have uh, you can have live video from an intercom, for example, or from a home security camera, mm. and you can press a notification, and you can view real time live video uh, anywhere. You, you can imagine a world where Netflix are sending you push notifications about things that are new on Netflix, and there's a trailer right in the notification. Exactly, that yeah. all kinds of things should be possible now for developers that they have this system in place. It's interesting now, I think, that, and I've, I felt this way really since iOS 8, but also very prominently with 9, that a lot of these new platform capabilities, it's about a year before they really start to mature. And, and not only people implement it, you know, like SplitView, for example, but also uh, people start to know what to do with that as well. Mm-hmm. So you can throw out simple examples like Netflix post your trailer and things like that. But I think the, the imaginative way in which people are going to do that, like if you have a... I don't know if you can you do this, like put a game in there, for example, or is it just rich media that like you couldn't put views and interactivity in there, could you? You can uh, you can take actions on notifications and developers mm-hmm. can change the view of a notification when okay. a user taps on an action uh, at the bottom. So you could maybe have a game where you could take a turn right in the notification. <laughs> in for theory, yes. Yeah. Like Words with Friends or something, you could play your turn. Yeah. Right you from you should be an iOS game developer. Sure. <laughs> you have too many ideas. These are, these ideas are free. People just need to do them for me. That's it. Yeah. Cool. So uh, the thing we, that seems to come through in a lot of the Apple messaging now is machine learning slash artificial intelligence, whatever. Uh, perhaps from a perception that Apple was behind in that area and they want to show their, their, their at least they think they're not, whether or not that's true. Um, Things like contextual predictions. We t- you talked a little bit before about, um, you know, proactive suggestions and things like that. But you're starting to see that in places like the keyboard now as well. The quick type suggestions now have things other than just words. They get emojis in there, but they're also offering you things like people's phone numbers and people's addresses and things like yeah. that in there too. Have you seen uh, that? Have you found that to be quite effective? Yeah, it's really it's really quite effective, but you gotta know the syntax basically. Yeah. Um, so the quick type predictions work in a few different ways. There's the contact related ones, 
so and they they come into effect when someone asks you, usually on iMessage, or when you're typing in other apps, uh, things like, "Hey, what is uh, John's phone number?" And so QuickType sees that iMessage and provides you with a proactive um, shortcut. So it looks into your contacts, the keyboard, and it puts up a, a shortcut in, uh, in the QuickType suggestion bar. So you can tap it, and it's uh, inserted as a new message. Or it works the opposite way. When you're, you are typing an email, for example, and you say, um, here's Mike's email address, and it shows you the email address from your contacts. It even works with calendars. So you can say, hey, tomorrow I'm free from, and it shows you your free available, available times uh, because it looks into your system calendar. And it works with other apps as well, and especially for locations and addresses because iOS 10, uh, again, using the NS User Activity API, it brings the concept of a place into this API, which lets developers uh, advertise what the user is viewing inside of an app, but specifically what location, what physical location, what physical address a user is viewing in a, in a screen of an app. So for example, an app like ETA, which is this app to see how much time it's going to take you to get to a location, uh, they, can, they can say, okay, the user is into this specific view of the app and they're looking at how much time it's going to take them to go to this restaurant. So we can say the user is looking at this restaurant, which is located physically on Earth at this address. So when the user switches between ETA and another uh, app, for example, like, I don't know, uh, you know, like maps or messages, QuickType get can suggest that address uh, for sentences like, hey, uh, let's meet at and you're going to get the suggestions for the address. Or, yeah. for example, when you're inside ETA uh, and you're looking at this restaurant page, you can summon Siri and say, get me there. And, it's mm-hmm. go- and it will know that by saying get me there, it means I'm looking at a screen with an address, open directions in maps for me. And it's kind of reminiscent of Google Now on Tap, which is something that Google doesn't enjoyed, and it's quite not as full featured because Google Now on Tap can actually scan the contents of any uh, kind of app, so they can provide you with suggestions for artists, uh, Wikipedia, movie reviews. But the the concept is kind of similar, which is the idea of I'm doing things inside of an app. There's this screen that I'm looking at. I want to use my assistant to act on that information. And I feel like we're going to see a lot more of this in the future. Yeah, it's very interesting because, you know, iOS potentially has a view into a lot more parts of your behavior than, for example, if you're just logged into a browser searching Google. I mean, I know you've got Google now on tap on Android, but if you're not an Android user, but if you're just an iOS user who uses Google services, it's potentially the case that Apple may actually know more or be able to offer you more because they have visibility into more things that you're doing on your device. Yeah, I guess so, especially because, you know, there's this super tight integration between different apps because every, you know, the iOS app ecosystem, I feel like uh, because of by virtue of iOS and, you know, iPhones receiving updates more quickly than Android devices, there's a much more integration between different apps and developers always uh, 
trying to support the latest features of a new iOS version, uh, you know, to be on the App Store, to be highlighted from Apple. So with every developer, uh, you know, rushing to support the latest version of iOS, it becomes easier for Apple to say, we're deploying this new API, this change, and you can start using it today, not six months from now, because every developer is now supporting this feature. And that's the kind of scale that the App Store has, that it's different from the Google Play Store, but it comes down to uh, a developer ecosystem that can take advantage of millions of iPhones updating to the latest version in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some other things that are, are predictive, if you like, working quite well in iOS 10 as well, such as in particular, the events found in mail feature seems to have gotten a lot better uh, in terms of what it will extract yeah. and, and so on. And also, uh, when you have ev regular events in your calendar, um, it will start to suggest locations for those events. So I, I presume it's looking at where you were the last time that repeating event happened. So, for example, in, in my calendar, I've got all my classes in school. And every time I go and look at one of them, it suggests, why don't you make the location for that work, right? No, I don't need to know that everywhere. I need more fine-grained information than that. I need it based on beacons in classrooms or something, but because uh, I'm in different classrooms, it's, it's all being well being in the one building, but uh, you need a bit more detail than that. But I think in, in general, some of those things are just starting to pop up around the place and they're starting to, starting to look pretty useful. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you, um, we touched upon briefly on Apple News, uh, what do you think of, uh, of on Apple Music? Sorry, what do you think of Apple News because it shares a similar design? Yeah, I, to be honest with you, I haven't really spent any time with Apple News either uh, before or after iOS ten. It's just never been something that I've been. I, I don't really spend a lot of time reading mainstream news, but uh, I, I kind of feel like Apple News is like what I had in Flipboard three or four years ago. Yeah, uh, but maybe, maybe you know a, a bit better built and a bit nicer integrated and so on, but. Um, I suppose maybe I should look into it. I don't know, but I've not, I wouldn't say I, I spend a lot of time in news either way uh, anymore in my life. Certainly try not to find any political news going on. Yeah, every time I open Apple News, I get all of these uh, political news. And um, because I keep my iPhone set to US region uh, mm -hmm. in the settings, um, I get all of these uh, US elections stuff. That that kind of I really don't care about. I mean, that was absolutely the most obnoxious feature of iOS nine was when you swiped yes. into the search screen. It's like, oh, there's something you know Hillary Clinton's doing, and there's something Donald Trump's doing. Like, yeah, I don't want that kind of misery just jumping up in my face on my phone. You know. Yeah. Now you're so, getting that in Apple News because the yeah. the Apple News editors really. I mean, of course they're based in America, so of course those are the actual top news. Yeah. Uh, which makes sense. I I feel like uh, our uh, Graham on Mac Stories, he made a point in his Apple News uh, article. He lives in Australia, so he gets um. Uh, it's one of the he's in one of the countries where Apple News is officially supported, mm -hmm. and he, he says. All of these, you know, the, the Apple News editors um, picking the U.S. politics and forcing uh, users to switch to U.S. region uh, if they want to try Apple News. This problem of people saying, I open Apple News and all I see is Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, yeah. It would be much less of a problem if Apple News rolled out to more regions. Uh, so yeah. you could be able to have Apple News in Italy so, you know, Apple News in France, uh, in Spain, in Germany, and, you know, all these other countries around the world, in Japan, 
uh, it would be much less of a problem for people like us, uh, people like me at least, that I'm really curious to try Apple News, but whenever I open it, I see the US elections. So I'm kind of surprised by the, the slow rollout, or actually no rollout at all, uh, of Apple News internationally. Yeah, it kind of feels like it's one of those things that, like, you know, if you want to read the New York Times, it's great, you know, but if you don't want to read the New York yeah. Times, it's like, who cares, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Photos, on the other hand, is yeah. one of my favorites, Yeah. Yeah, Photos has been enhanced with, uh, with a, lot, a lot of intelligence in iOS mm-hmm. 10. There's um, so much going on in Photos. There's a lot going on. It's kind of like iMessage, really. Yeah. Uh, basically... Apple looked at Google News, uh, at Google Photos, and what they were doing with with the product, with the you know uh, with search, content search, uh, with the organization of Google Photos, and I mean they must have been inspired by the success that Google found with the, with with their product on Photos, and especially with how aggressive Google has been in um, you know pushing Google Photos to iOS users. Um, and photos on iOS 10 is kind of a response to that, but done in a very Apple way. So it, there's two main, actually I would say three main features, which is you can now browse people recognizing your photos like you could in, in on macOS before. Uh, photos generates memories for you, and memories are these automatically generated uh, kind of, mix of slideshows and videos and collections of photos. So a memory is like, uh, I don't know, last weekend or a trip to the beach or a Christmas dinner. There's different types of memories and photos uh, automatically gets those photos and videos from your library and it does the the processing overnight. So you can, you know, when you wake up the following day, you're going to find a new memory. And then there's search which is this, uh, not like Google Photos, where you can type anything into the search bar. Uh, It's more based on categories that uh, Photos understands. So you can, for example, uh, Jason Snell likes to always make the example of horses and mountains. Uh, Those are two categories that Photos can recognize. Uh, But you can also search for things like food or pizza or pasta or drinks or beach. And uh, and iOS 10 and and Photos can look for, you know, pictures with that specific content in your library. And it's a new way to search for old photos for those times when you remember roughly the subject of a photo, but just you don't want to browse, you don't remember when exactly it was taken, you don't want to scroll your library. So it's a way to find all photos by subject, which is done with AI and machine learning. Apple says they're very proud to say that they do machine learning Mm -hmm. now. Uh, And it works quite well. It's not as... I would say uh, scarily accurate as Google is sometimes, yeah. but I would say that it's good enough. Yeah, I, I've, I like some of the features in, in Photos. The memories one feel, feels a little random right now. It's not always clear to me why it chooses certain things. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> the funniest one though was when, in the beta cycle where uh, it, it was putting together a memory called a very memorable person. And it was me. <laughs> like, this, this is like an obituary, do you know what I mean? It's like I, I've died and now I'm being remembered by my phone. You know, it was a creep, bit creepy and a bit weird. One of the things that I just discovered quite recently was that if you're browsing photos, you're in the kind of full screen view where you can slide side by side to get different pictures. If you slide a picture up, 
there's a whole bunch of stuff hidden underneath there as well. There's there's no way of discovering it's there except by accident. But if you swipe up, it will also do things like related photos and show you a map of where that photo was taken and so on. So you can get, there's a sort of strange detail view that you can get into that way as well. Yeah, did it really create an album for you? <laughs> <laughs> it did, <laughs> and it was literally called a very memorable person. Uh, I was like, hmm. maybe, this, maybe this prediction thing is just a bit too on point. I don't know. <laughs> it was a, it was a way to it was a way to boost your ego. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, but it made me feel my own mortality a little too. Close to, you know. Oh God! Once I'm you get close to forty, you sort of don't look at that phrase the same way anymore. Well, I, at least my phone thinks I'm memorable. <laughs> uh, anyway, there's another feature that I really like, uh, which is uh, the multilingual keyboard and. Mm. A few international readers have told me thanks for focusing on this in the review because your uh, US colleagues haven't done the same. And I'm really proud that I, that I did this. It's probably one of the, the aspects that I'm most, uh, that I'm, you know, really happy about is um, people don't understand, especially, you know, the, the English based uh, Apple blogs, they don't understand how much of a struggle the system keyboard on iOS and especially on the iPhone has been for the past 10 years, basically. Um, when you when you consider how people who speak multiple languages, such as me, and when you consider how we need to switch at least between three keyboards, which is English, usually, or another language, the native language, and the emoji keyboard, um, the keyboard switching UI on the, on the iPhone was a mess. was slow, it opened this menu, which is the same menu that you get with custom keyboards. It just, we international speakers, multilingual speakers, we saw that menu all the time, not only when we needed to switch between custom keyboards, such as, I don't know, text expander, when you need it, all the time. So I'm uh, talking to my girlfriend in Italian, then I'm talking to Fraser in English, and I need to switch keyboards all the time. Now in iOS 10, the keyboard understands multiple languages at a time. So you can remove your, for example, you can remove the, the native language keyboard. You can just keep the English one installed and you're going to be able to type in multiple languages. iOS 10 is not going to autocorrect you because it knows on the fly. You can understand now the user is typing in English. Now it's, it's typing in Italian. I don't need to, to use autocorrect in English anymore. Let's switch back to Italian. You start typing in English again, quick type changes to English. It's amazingly well done. And it's one of the features that I'm really glad that Apple implemented because it doesn't appeal, I guess, to the majority of English speakers. Um, but I feel like, especially in Europe, uh, when you know, especially in countries where English is not our main language, and mm. we try to learn English because it's the right thing to do, you know, in this modern age, uh, yeah. it's a feature that really appeals to us. Yeah, and we're just so ridiculously privileged in the English-speaking world that we just don't have to bother, you know. I mean, I, why would you, right? Why would you learn yeah, Italian? I mean, I, I mean, I get it. Uh, it's not necessary for the global economy to know Italian, but you, you know, you know, it's interesting though that there's been some controversies around uh, about uh, which lang which regional languages iOS supports, and in particular, uh, I don't know if this is still true in ten, but rec until recently there was no Welsh localization um, for for ios and working in education you kind of get to know these things but uh, the welsh government has some kind of law or something where if if you're using uh, government money to produce something you have to produce it both in english and welsh so they were giving funds to 
some developers to make an app for Welsh schools or something. And they were trying to localize the app into Welsh, but because there wasn't a system localization for Welsh, it was very difficult for them to build the app and get the government money for it and things like that. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the future with that in terms of things like that, but also, you know, the, the sub-region emoji flags and stuff like that. Like, how far is it worth going for Apple to, to build in localizations? Because they do have some pretty obscure ones, right? They have... Um, languages that not very many people speak mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah. some, that, some that they don't so yeah yeah. I don't know if the keyboard understands Scots Gaelic or not but then neither does MD else in Scotland so it's fine <laughs> moving on yeah uh, um, there's two iPad features <laughs> basically there's two iPad features let's talk about them yes. no, just a, a few of them just a, yeah. a major one which is the, the split view in Safari yeah. so you can now browse two Safari web pages uh, simultaneously uh, mm-hmm. And it's especially nice on the iPad Pro, the 12.9 inch iPad Pro, because yeah. you see two full web pages uh, at the same time. Yep. Uh, I, I've started getting into using that. It's really cool. And you can basically start to drag the tabs around like you would on a desktop web browser. It's, it's really cool. So uh, getting used to that is great. And I think I could use a slightly easier way to open links from one side into the other, because all you do is you got to tap and hold on a link and do open what's the button it says open another side or something like that which i think is yeah. not the most clear wording for that button i don't think but um there's you can also use a two-finger tap on the link as well is that right you can use a two-finger tap to open a link on the other side you can drag and drop you can tap and hold there's a few oh, you ways can drag to, the links too okay yeah, yeah there's a few ways to to activate the, the split view yeah getting some of these new things into your muscle memory is quite a challenge you know it's uh, remembering that there are new ways to do things. Like, I still haven't quite got into my head the idea that you can talk to Siri and say, remind me about this or make a note about this. That's just not part of my workflow even still. Yeah. There's a, Speaking of other iPad features, there's a, just a few minor things. Uh, the command space spotlight, it's now an overlay on top of the current app, so it doesn't take you back to the home screen. And yeah, Thank you I'm gonna give much. you. Yeah, I'm going to give you a nice tip. Uh, if you use split view, you can now use this model spotlight as a quick way to switch the app on the left side. Uh, so now you can search for anything and it doesn't go back to the home screen. It just switches the primary app on the left side. So instead of navigating back and forth, you can just keep a, a secondary app on the right and switch the one on the left by searching with spotlight. It's very nice. Yeah, this is one more of these things where Apple, the philosophy is stay where you are and do something else. Yeah. And the spotlight coming down over the app you're in rather than taking you out of the app back to the home screen. Not only was that incredibly slow, but it was very disruptive to your setup as you were working. And I think as as people start to use split view more and more, like the, the setup that you've kind of built up in terms of which apps are where and what size the divider is and so on, you're more reluctant to give that up because you're now kind of into a way of working with these different apps. You don't want to disrupt that to go and get another app. So being able to stay where you are and just replace one app is is super powerful. Yeah. And there's also a new three-pane layouts for notes and mail. So you can have three panels of 
like there's a sidebar, the note or message list, and the actual note or uh, email message on the right. Uh, and it's a way to take advantage of the bigger screen. And just yesterday, Apple uh, launched this update to iWork on iOS, which we're going to focus in our, I think, in our next episode uh, for other features also. But there's one um, iPad Pro 12.9 inch feature, which is a new format sidebar. Uh, so it takes it takes advantage of the larger screen to present you with the format sidebar on the right, like it does, I think, on the Mac and on the web. So now you can, because you have a bigger iPad, you can view the formatting controls and the uh, document you're working on at the same time, and it's very nice when in landscape mode. Yeah, it's essentially a persistent sidebar. The, the controls that used to be in popovers in the brush menu and the plus yeah. menu and so on, they're now in a kind of permanent bar that you you can you can hide the bar if you want to, but you can you can have it sort of persistently sitting there as well. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to get used to that. We use iWork a lot at school. Uh, the kids spend a lot of time in Pages and uh, Keynote in particular, uh, and it'll be quite interesting to see how some of these new features get used in school. In particular, the collaboration feature is you know is Google Docs class. So we'll talk about that more in uh, next show. But I'm already really pretty excited about what that means for the future. Nice. Yeah. So, generally, general impressions of iOS 10. Are we happy with it? I think I'm happy with it. Yeah, I think so. I I think so. I think uh, the new messages. It's a, it's a very exciting time for the developer community on iOS. Um, The new photos uh, shows that Apple can do intelligence, and it's gonna get better in the future. Siri is um, is is kind of like a beta. The Siri Kit developer platform. But it's, I mean, it's going to get more domains. Even Craig Federighi and Phil Schiller said, I think either at the keynote or I think at the talk show with John Gruber, they said it's going to expand to more domains in the future, but just we we found areas that we wanted to start with. So we're going to get more Siri kit domains. Uh, there's a... Apple experimenting with these new designs in Apple News, Apple Music, and Home, which it's not clear if these are going to be like... Um, limited to these three apps or if it's if we're gonna see like a a more unified new design language in ios 11 after the ios 7 era has been i would say the ios 7 era is complete now so maybe next time next year with ios 11 it's gonna be a new cycle i don't know maybe these new designs are showing kind of a hint of the future um and and i think a lot of the new the notification design, the widget design, uh, all of these are like light cells, like little light boxes of content. They could translate well to a dark mode in the future. There's a lot of white and a lot of uh, light gray colors used in iOS 10. And it sounds like next year, probably with an iPhone that has an OLED display that can display much uh, darker black colors maybe next year we're gonna see a system dark mode that takes advantage of the new iphone and these new user interfaces apple apple music for example they're now black and white and they can be more easily translated to you know uh to the to, to a system dark mode so maybe you know it's a it, there's a a lot of refinements some exciting new beginnings and a lot of things that you can say i see what apple is doing and obviously they're gonna do more in the future yeah, it's a very interesting release in that respect. And I think a lot of the places where you see uh, new doors opening up, they're opening up in a very, they're not in a limited way as such. I mean, okay, Siri kit is quite limited, but in terms of like map extensions and Siri extensions, what you're seeing is Apple opening the door to working with a small number of big companies 
in the early stages. So it's companies like Uber and OpenTable and people like that. And in time to come, as you open it to more general categories, I mean, there's only so many internet-based cash transfer services in the world, right? So they're not going to be working with like a thousand different developers all wanting to transfer cash. It might be, you know, five or ten, and they can learn from that. And then you, they can open up domains where there might be, you know, five, like the to-do list domain. It's not surprising that that hasn't been opened because that's something where they could be getting hit with thousands of developers wanting help to build a to-do list thing. Whereas for ride-sharing, there's only so many ride-sharing services in the world and it might be and not an easy way to get started, but a, a more manageable way to get started and uh, build on that in the future as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, overall, I think it's a, it's a very interesting release. Uh, I think the update cycle will be very interesting. You know, you've you've mentioned before speculation about ten point three, the point three versions being the iPad versions. Uh, I certainly hope that might be true. It was true with iOS nine point three, for example. We got a lot yeah. of things uh, for iPad in there, uh, and I think I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what life is like under ten. And when developers adopt it, I think there's a lot of potential for just really efficient use of the device. I think that's something that we're going to see. Not so much efficient use from a productivity point of view that we normally focus on, but just that your life will become more efficient because you're not spending time digging around in your phone to do things. You're getting a wee feel of what is the quick glances on the Apple Watch, for example. Slightly richer versions of that are coming to your phone to do a little bit more, uh, and it's going to be an interesting time. So that wraps up our show about iOS 10. Uh, once a year, we're probably going to hit one of these big shows. Uh, and Federico, congratulations again on the review. Thank I think you. it was uh, it was an outstanding piece of work. Thank this you. is Canvas episode 19. You can find show notes for this show at relay.fm slash canvas slash 19. Our thanks to Martiancraft for sponsoring this episode. Uh, you can find us at underscore Canvas FM on Twitter. I'm Fraser Spears. Federico is Vitici, and we'll see you in two weeks' time.